We are looking at um, church history here, and we've made our way into the first and second century. So today we're picking up on all the early heresies, and we're going to go a little forward in time uh, so that we don't have to stop every time we talk about these heresies. We're grouping them together, and then um, we'll come back and talk about the men in the second century uh, in two weeks. So let me open in prayer, and then we'll have a, a book giveaway. Lord, it is with great thankfulness that we come before you this morning just to learn in this class time, just to hear about the faithful um, Christians in the past, those who would stand for the truth, stand for the gospel, stand for Christ. We know that many of them died for the faith, or they had much persecution during their life. And we also know, Lord, that there were heresies introduced by Satan early into the church, I pray, Lord, that we would learn from these in the past so we don't make these mistakes in the future. I pray as a church we would be well-versed in what some of these heresies believed and where we see them today. And I pray as individuals we would be able to talk to others about these false doctrines and guide people towards the truth that is in Scripture. Help us to learn this morning to remember what we learned. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as I reminded you, um, the first class, I think, I encourage you to take notes. You don't have to. There's not going to be a quiz or a grade. But it's going to be helpful to remember these by uh, the, the people of church history and these different theological issues. Um, it, it's helpful in the, in the future if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, they believe like the Mormons do. You can look at your notes and see where we talked about that in the history of heresy. Or, if Lord willing, if we have time later in this spring part of this class, we might get into actual Mormon um, roots and, and how that came about, for example. So that'll be helpful, I think, in the future. And uh, I really try to insert many of these men, their quotes, into sermons, into other classes as well. And so I encourage you to learn as much as you can about church history. Speaking of which, I have a book here, Steve Lawson wrote, the preacher Steve Lawson, great preacher, John Knox, Fearless Faith. Sinclair Ferguson says the story may leave you breathless, but you will almost certainly feel spiritually fitter by the end. Little book, starting you off on, you know, the, the short stuff. As we work through the year, I might give away bigger and bigger tomes. 115 pages, John Knox, and I need to think of a good question to ask you. So, let's see here. Name, other than Ebionism, no. I just showed you the slides on that. Can't do that one. Um, tell me one thing that the Ebionites believed. Who can tell me one thing that the Ebionites believed? Anybody? Anybody remember Ebionism from last week or two weeks? It's been two weeks, yeah. No, that's a tough one. Okay. You got it, Josh? Deny the deity of Christ. Correct. Let me see where that is on the slide here. Right there. Third point. Denied the deity of Christ. Come get your John Knox book here. We expect that you'll read it before the next class and be ready to give a 30-second book report. So we looked at Ebionism. The, they were Judaizers in the early church. Not the Judaizers in the Bible, but right after uh, Scripture was closed or near the end when John was writing, these Ebionites started, and their goal was to uh, say that Jesus was not the Son of God because they were Judaizers. They held that the Old Testament properly presented 
only one God, and they said, we can't have uh, a son of God. They didn't understand the Trinity or, or denied the Trinity, in other words. They said Jesus was adopted. Then we looked at docetism or docetism last week. Um, Christ is fully divine, they said, but not human. So Ebionites denied that Christ was divine. Docetists denied that he was human. So they fell off in the other rut on the other side of the road. And they said he only seemed to be human. He was just fooling us, in other words. And they said he couldn't have been human because the flesh is evil. We're going to see this come up a lot in early church history where matter is evil. And it even exists within Christianity today. Sometimes we don't realize it. But this idea that all things of the earth are evil. Not just tainted with sin. Not just affected by sin. But in their core creation, in their nature, they are evil. Of course, that's not correct. According to the Bible, God made all things and they were good. And it's just sin that taints them, that corrupts them. And so Muslims sort of fit this docetism today because they say that they slew him not, nor crucified, but it appeared so unto them. This comes out of the Quran, and they believe that it, Christ was a prophet, but he didn't actually die. It just appeared that way. So we left off uh, last week on Gnosticism. So let's pick up there, Gnosticism. And it's, uh, in English, we don't pronounce the G. We do that with a lot of, of Greek words. But in Greek, it's gnosticism, gnosticism, if you can say it real fast. Now, we see some early trending this way whenever John, First John, for example, writes against certain things. Even the book of Hebrews. You, you see some early false teaching that's in the church that these writers of Scripture are dealing with. And it's not technically Gnosticism. That doesn't officially get put together until the 2nd century. And it becomes very popular and into the 3rd century. But you already see people sort of dealing with this denial of Christ's divinity and worship of angels and worship of spiritual beings uh, that the book of Hebrews deals with. And also Colossians as well. So what is Gnosticism? Well, again, they say that matter is evil. Not just corrupted by sin nature, but it is inherently evil, they taught. Only the spiritual is good. Only the things that you can't see are good. Only the things after this life are good. So anything you enjoy, you know, if you like smoked, pulled pork on the weekends like I do, that's evil. Uh, if you enjoy a, a, a cold iced tea, that's evil. If you enjoy sleep, that's, it's, all, it's all evil. Everything of this world is evil, according to the Gnostics. Now, here's where it gets really fun. They believe in a supreme being. So the supreme being is sort of the one that's over all things. But the actual creator is the demiurge. The demiurge. And again, they're pulling from Greek philosophy. And so how do they deal with Christ? Well, they say Christ was either a phantom or was united to Jesus the man. They don't really know what to do with Christ. They have this duality, these two gods, the, the supreme being and the demiurge. And so Christ has to be something else. He either just appeared to be human, kind of faked it as a phantom, or Christ sort of was joined 
not at birth, not in the womb, but later to this man named Jesus. So what are the Gnostics all about? They're about pursuing mysticism or special knowledge. And they say, we can do that through Christ, this phantom person who came, or this, this phantom that was united to Jesus. And we're going to get to an elite knowledge, a knowledge only a few people can access. And the way you do that is through your mind. That's the central goal of life, is to get more and more of this special knowledge. And this fit really well with the uh, Greco-Roman Empire, because they had a lot of secret cults. Uh, most cults, mystic cults, you had to go through the rites. And you can't even find today much about what they had to go through when they went through the, the initiation process. But you would join one of these mystic cults in the Greco-Roman Empire, and that was your religion. You worshipped all the gods, but particularly the god of the cult that you were a part of. So what we see early on is they're taking Christianity, they're taking paganism, and some Greek philosophy, and just mashing it all together. And Gnosticism still affects the church today. In fact, a lot of what we saw in the Middle Ages coming into Roman Catholicism is Gnostic. The Mormons are Gnostic. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. So here's what one uh, writer, Getting to Know the Church Fathers is his book. Here's what he said. Their myth seems so ridiculous to us today that we can scarcely believe anyone would ever have embraced them. I mean, this is going to sound crazy to you, but listen to what he says. But we must acknowledge that for many ancient people, Gnosticism offered an attractive alternative to Orthodox Christianity. Spiritual seekers were drawn to its seeming intellectualism and mysterious insights into the cosmos. And you can kind of see that if you think about it. You know, Christianity, it's, it's open book, right? It's an open book test. My kids love open book tests. You get to open the Bible and you get to look it up and you get to study it. Um, and it tells you a lot of things to do that are hard as a Christian. Uh, you have to fight your sin. You have to kill your, your, your remaining sin that's in you. You have to live for the glory of God. It sounds much more exciting to go and learn some secret process. Something special. Something that everybody else doesn't know. And to really use our minds to focus on the mysteries. The hidden things. The mysteries of religion. So he continues here. The Valentinian Gnostics, this is a certain group of Gnostics under Valentinius, believed that there was a heavenly fullness which consisted of 30 angelic beings called aeons. The aeons always came in male-female pairs. These conjugal pairs emitted lower aeons, and the last of these emissions was Sophia, wisdom. But Sophia became passionate, wickedly longed for the highest father apart from her own consort, Though she was eventually healed from a grievous action, her evil thought, which had given rise to her sin, was cast out of the fullness like an aborted fetus. This doesn't even sound like Christianity, but this was a major Christian cult in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, especially in Egypt, North Africa, parts of the Roman Empire. Now you might be thinking this sounds like something today that you know about. Hold your thought there, we'll come there. But you see early on these heresies coming into the church. Let's mix paganism, philosophy, and Christianity all together and give it to people in a way that they're going to love it and, and pay for it even. You'll see today that people are willing to pay for this special knowledge. So continuing on with the Gnosticism, or at least one major popular way that they 
thought back then in Gnosticism. This shape, so we're still continuing this crazy story here, right? You've got aeons, male-female pairs, and they had lower aeons. And the last one was Sophia. And Sophia had her evil thought, something about casting out of the fullness. Then you have the shapeless thought here, took on a personified form named Mother Akamok, Akamoth. She was in a hopeless state until the Christ came to her and enabled Akamoth to bring forth substances from within herself. One of the beings she brought forth was a demiurge. He was the ignorant creator of the entire physical world in which we live. In many Gnostic accounts, a demiurge was equated with Yahweh, the Jewish God of the Old Testament, who foolishly thought he was the one true God. You see, what, what cults do is they don't completely reject everything in Scripture. They mix it and use the words so they can entice Christians to come in. Let me entice you by using words like Yahweh and Scriptures that support my thinking. That's what false teachers would do. And they taught that only the enlightened Gnostics knew that he was actually a corrupted being far inferior to the goddess Sophia. So we have this corruption of even the doctrine of God here. Continuing on this crazy story, in order to give secret wisdom to the spiritual Gnostics, the Demiurge, Yahweh, is said to have given birth to a son who was filled with the spiritual seed of Mother Akamoth. They call this the Christ. Now they start using biblical terminology. Mary, they, the Christ passed through Mary, taking a body from, without taking a body from her. He was just like water flowing through a tube. The Gnostics taught that Christ inhabited the body of the man, Jesus, but his body was not made of real flesh. So again, this idea of a phantom. He's not, he's not completely human. He just looks like it. And uh, this ties back in a little bit to docetism. So the docetic Christ, who possessed the illusion of a body, came into the world to teach spiritual precepts that only the enlightened Gnostics would be able to comprehend. Through the purging action of his revealed knowledge, the Gnostics would eventually make their way up to the fullness as purified spirits. Sounds very familiar to something that's around today. But it starts way back 1,800 years ago. And we have this order of beings. And you almost read Colossians and Hebrews and you see how Christians are tempted to worship angels and created orders. And Paul says in, in uh, Colossians that Christ created those things. It's not the other way around. See, the Gnostics had it the other way around. They said there was this being who created a being who created all these little beings and that eventually uh, spiritual being led to Christ. And then you can get back up to the ultimate being if you work your way back up the chain. Christians love to be told what to do. Even true believers, they just love, give me a step. Give me like a five-step process to be more holy. And if it's not biblical, people don't care so much. They'll pay money for a book today that gives you the secrets to getting closer to God. So, does this sound familiar to anything today? Raise your hand if you think, Danny. The secret. That's right. I think that might be the first one. Nope. Oh, man, I burned it for you. The Book of Mormon. What do Mormons believe? They believe that there's this creator, Yahweh. And um, he had a wife who had children. And all of those children are the spiritual beings. And they actually believe that God was once a man. And so there's other spiritual beings out there. 
that God was once a man and he became God through all of his obedience and doing good things and having children. And the Mormons teach, they won't tell you this when they first come to your door, but it's in there in the Book of Mormon that you can become a God equal to Yahweh, equal to God. All you have to do is work your way up the chain. And this is what they believe, that you can become a God yourself. And you get your own planet. In fact, what's the name of the planet, Chris? I know you know. What is it called? Kolob. Kolob with a K, right. And there's even a hymn that they wrote out there. Something about I'll hie away, which is an old English term for, for fly away. I'll hie away to Kolob. And a couple of years ago on the internet, they put that hymn with one that we love. I can't remember what it was. And they were back to back by this young girl singing on YouTube. And that thing got shared by Christians all over social media. And they didn't understand that high away to Kolob is Mormon theology. I mean, it's right in your face. Basically, I get to fly away to Kolob. And uh, that's one of the, the planets. There's also been movies made about this. Um, where you can go and, uh, what was that movie? Um, it was with, oh, I can't think now. It was about Revelation and the end times. And it came out in the 90s. Seventh seal or seventh sign or something like that. I remember as a young young person watching that. And I wasn't a Christian. And I'm thinking, wow, that sounds so biblical, you know. And uh, the last soul in heaven is born on the earth. And then that starts Revelation. Because that's what Mormons believe. It was made by Mormons. And they believe that there's created, these created beings from Yahweh are just up there waiting. And they're getting sent down. They're getting sent down. And when the last one is sent, that's it. And so they encourage you to do all these things. Get married. Used to married to multiple women. And have multiple children. And all these processes that will make you the God of your own planet. It's the most Gnostic religion. They believe in more gods. Because it's infinite, right? Than Buddhists. Then uh, Hindus, Hindus have thousands of gods. But with Mormons, it's infinite. If it, anybody can become a god. So you have thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions. The sacred Enneagram. This has been very popular in the last few years. And it's, it's Gnosticism, it's mysticism. Uh, you might think, well, it's just a personality test, but it's really not. And the founders of the Enneagram, if you read their works, they tell you this straight up front. Um, it's, a, it's a, a Roman Catholic guy who really denied the, the scriptures and he brought in some mysticism. And he even says he went back to ancient sources, ancient Greek sources. And it sounds very similar to this Gnostic stuff. But either way, even if they didn't say that, it is mystical. It's mystical. If you want to take a personality test, there's plenty out there that don't involve mysticism. Uh, you can just look up this guy right here, Christopher Hertz. And uh, he talks about uh, how he uses the Enneagram, and it's very mystical. It's not scripturally based. And in fact, the foreword by Richard Rohr, that's the Catholic guy uh, that's basically denied Christ and uh, kind of helped come up with the Enneagram, uh, made, it, made it popular. It used to be a Catholic thing, then it was an Anglican thing, and now it's come into Protestantism in general, evangelicalism. So it's, it's Gnostic in... It's teachings, even if you've, you know, dealt with that, you might not have thought so, but it is. There's the secret right there. I mean, they just come right out and say the secret, right? The secret. 
sounds Gnostic. Anything that deals with spirituality, that's a secret. Is this a secret? No, there's billions of these printed around the world every year. Anybody can read it. Now, it might be difficult to interpret, especially for unbelievers, of course. But the gospel is to be proclaimed. The way of salvation is to be proclaimed widely. It's not a secret. As the apostle said, this thing wasn't done in a corner. But what you're going to see with a lot of these cults today is there's secret. You have to come in and be initiated. And so they don't tell you all of their stuff when they knock on your door. They don't tell you all their stuff in the books. But as you read it, you see connections to ancient Gnosticism. Here's another popular one, very popular. Jesus Calling. Sarah Young hears, and uh, I can't remember if it's in a dream or she just hears in her head, the voice of Jesus. And then she writes down these words. And it's not just that she's pretending. She actually believes that it's Jesus and that the word should be followed. Now, she doesn't immediately get rejected a lot of times by Christians because what she says isn't just crazy stuff. It's not, you know, you got to go jump in the pool every morning and, and drink the grass, you know, eat grass and grow your fingernails long because people in America would reject that. She uses words that are very similar to Scripture. But if you read the forward to her very first edition, she says where she got this. And she actually gets it from an older book. I think it's called God, God Calling. God Calling. Which is a, an old heretical prophet from the early 1900s. And she's just bringing that forward now. And it's Gnostic. It's Gnostic. Because she has the way to hear from Jesus. It's not scriptural. She's not talking about the Bible and then commenting on it. She's actually saying, here's what Jesus told me. Let me tell you. Enjoying peace in his presence. That's the subtitle. Enjoying peace in his presence. Gnostic leanings. Here's another guy, Eckhart Tolle. He's real popular in business circles. He does conferences and seminars. And uh, The Power of Now, A Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment. One of the, here's the subtitle. One of the best books to come along in years. Every sentence rings with truth and power. Concerning. This guy's very popular. I remember years ago hearing about him. And uh, once you get invited on Oprah, their books sell like crazy. Uh, Oprah has a lot of Gnostics come on. And she doesn't like hard Christianity, she, the, biblical Christianity, because it sounds hard to her. It sounds difficult. And she likes to kind of mix all of these things together. So I say, don't do it. The Bible's enough. The Bible's enough. Stay away. Don't buy these gifts for people. Don't even <laughs> touch the stuff. You know, you can say, well, you know, it's not that bad. You know, Jesus calling. You have the Bible. Why would you want to send people anywhere else? There's nowhere else to go. Well, maybe you could hand it to somebody and talk. No. I mean, this stuff is infectious, too. In the L.A. County jails, which there was like a million people in L.A. County jail, it seemed like. And I would go out and teach a Bible study with the church I was part of in seminary. And there were other churches teaching there as well. And one time, this guy, what the guys would do is they just attend everything to get out of their normal duties. And so they would come to all the Bible studies that churches offered. And one guy came up to me and he said, 
what about this book that I just got in the other Bible study that I went to yesterday? And he handed me Jesus calling. And he said, that's what they're passing out for us to study while we're here in jail through this group. And I just told him, look, we have the Bible in this class. Come to learn the Bible. That's what we're going to study from. And of course, we were proclaiming the gospel through the scriptures, teaching them about who God is and sin and man and all that. And I said, that's something that you shouldn't even consider. Come to hear about the Bible. But they'd come in with boxes of this stuff. I mean, boxes of Jesus calling, passing them out to all the prisoners in jail. Okay, I got a little more there. Okay, Gnosticism. Any questions on that? That's a big one. That's probably the most infectious of these uh, is Gnosticism today. It just hung around in different forms, making its way into Christianity. Uh, by the way, um, if you look up... Now I've got to go back through all these. Look at that. Um, if you look up... Uh, I can't think of the guy who wrote Christoplatonism. He wrote an article on Christoplatonism. Um, he wrote about heaven. What's the, what's the guy, the author? He wrote about heaven. Um, not, not a bad book on heaven, but... Randy Alcorn. If you look up Randy Alcorn's article on Christoplatonism, he shows how modern Christianity has adopted a lot of these ideas from Plato, the Greek philosopher, and it went through Gnosticism all the way up to today. And even good, solid Christians still have this idea that matter's evil. Paul deals with that in Scripture, right? People say, don't get married. People say, don't enjoy food and drink. Solomon dealt with that in Ecclesiastes. But he makes a good case where a lot of Christians unknowingly adopt Christoplatonism on their view of heaven. And they think heaven's only going to be a spiritual place where we don't have bodies, we float around on the cloud, we play the harp. Right? That's the modern conception of heaven. That it's all spiritual, there's no real earth, there's no resurrected bodies. So I recommend that article for extra reading. Okay, Martianism. Martianism. We already dealt with um, a little bit of Martian's belief on Christ. But his biggest false contribution to the church was that he denied a huge part of Scripture. So Martianism started around um, 144. And this guy came to Rome named Martian of Sinope. So Sinope's on the top of Asia Minor, what used to be called Pontus. And Martian was a teacher. He was uh, pretty much an elder and the church. And he's the son of the bishop. Remember by this point, a bishop is like the head guy ruling over the elders and the whole church. He's later excommunicated by his own father for his heretical views. So it's not starting off well for Martian. He's kicked out of his church in Sinope. So I know that's kind of small, but um, it's important to understand this. Martian taught that the teachings of Christ... And so he said, there's Christ, and then there's a the human Jesus. And he says, the Christ is the one we want. They're not compatible, though, with God of the Old Testament. So everybody's worshiping this Christ in early Christianity. And he says, look, that doesn't fit with the God of the Old Testament. In other words, he's saying there's two gods in the Bible. Martian held to a canon. A canon is what you consider to be the books of the Bible. And here's all that he said we should follow as Christians. Ten books from Paul and one gospel. But it's called the Gospel of Marcion. And I think, if I recall, he, he just took the Gospel of Luke 
And he cut out all the Jewish stuff. And what was left over is the Gospel of Martian. And he rejected the Old Testament and all the other books of the New Testament. So he said, there's a clear distinction between the law and the gospel, the flesh and the spirit, the works and faith, and so on. And he really differentiated that. He taught the God of the Old Testament, whom he viewed as righteous and wrathful, was not the same as the God of the gospel, who is love and mercy. Is it still around today? There's a different God in the Old Testament. He's all wrath, and the God of the New Testament is all love. And he said, we worship Christ because he's all love, but God of the Old Testament cut it out. Martianites, these were his followers, they viewed the God of the Old Testament negatively, derisively, and they believed him to be angry, malicious, and sadistic. Marcion further taught that Christ was not the Jewish Messiah, but rather a spiritual entity sent by a previously unknown God called the Stranger God or the Alien God. You've, you've probably heard that truth is stranger than fiction. This, this class on the history of heresy should prove that to you. I mean, who, could, who could come up with this? This is stuff that fiction writers come up with today and put their books out on Amazon. The Alien God. But here's a guy in the early church trying to lead people astray to follow um, Christ, the, the stranger God, previously unknown. Christ essentially came to undo what the evil God of the Old Testament had done. I mean, that's completely heretical. So any Martianites today, this stuff's not still around, right? Where people deny the Old Testament or don't read the Old Testament or Diminish the Old Testament so much that they don't even consider it a place where we can go to learn about God. It's very common today. In fact, the Christoplatonism that I just mentioned, the idea from the Gnostics that the, the physical is evil and therefore heaven's just going to be us on a cloud sort of playing harps all day, that's probably the most common thought in America of, of heaven. Secondly, though, I think would be Martianism amongst even Bible-believing Christians. Or I'll just say Christians in general. But I think even Bible-believing Christians, they diminish the Old Testament so much that they never touch it, never read it. You don't hear sermons on it. The pastor never goes to the Old Testament to preach from. And it's effectively Martianism. It's not believing all the heretical doctrines of Martianism. But his big heresy was cutting out the Old Testament. Because once you cut away most of the Bible, you can do what you want. You can just make up doctrines. So here's a guy, um, a couple years ago, he started to say more and more things over time. But he really angered a lot of people when he said Christians must unhitch Old Testament from their faith. So this is from an article in the Christian Post. This is uh, Andy Stanley. He pastors one of the largest churches in the world. Somewhere around 20,000 or, or so people go to his church. Um, and he's continued to say more and more heretical sounding things. And he said that we need to old, uh, unhitch from the Old Testament. He didn't say cut it out. He didn't say make a new Bible. But he did say basically it has no place for Christians today. And he's really concerned, if you kind of follow his ministry, he's really concerned about what the world, about what unbelievers will think of what's in the Bible. So later he went even further and he said, basically, we don't need the Bible to be Christians. We have historical records that tell us about Christ. 
And it's the resurrection of Christ that matters. That's what makes us a Christian. And you can find that in all these other historical records. Now, the thing that's challenging here is he doesn't just come out. These guys don't come out and say, hey, I'm a Martianite, you know. Then you look up Martianite and know to, to not listen to them. They just say things like this, and then they kind of explain it over the next 10 minutes in his, in his talk. And it sounds good. It sounds like, why would you bring out the Old Testament? Why would you offend people if you don't need to? You know, those passages on homosexuals and Leviticus. Let's not talk about that. But essentially, he finally just came out and said, we need to unhitch. That's literally what the word that he used. We need to unhook from the Old Testament and move on in our faith. Any questions about Martianism? It's not just him. I mean, there's a common theme in Christianity to deny or not read and study the Old Testament. Any other Martianites you can think of today? Red-letter Christians. That's, that's a good example, yeah. Uh, they were really liberal Christians, but they said, we're only going to follow the red letters of the New Testament. A couple of problems with that. First of all, the original Bible didn't have red ink. The red letters were added in the last hundred years, maybe. So you can just find the words of Christ real fast. But the problem is, if you want to cut out all the stuff that offends, then you just go to the red letters. Even though there's plenty of offensive stuff that Jesus said, they typically focus on the Sermon on the Mount and the moral teachings of Jesus, how to live a good life. And there's a group uh, founded by a, a liberal Christian, um, forget his name, but it's called Red Letter Christians. And they, they lobby in our government uh, as a Christian organization. I actually like Bibles without red letters nowadays. Um, it helps me dig a little deeper to see, okay, we're, who's talking here? You know, Jesus, where does he start? And, and there's some debate in certain passages too, whether Jesus is still talking or John, like around John three sixteen and 17 and 18, like who, who's saying that? Is it Jesus or is it the Apostle John? So it helps, I think, to study, although some of the nicest Bibles have red letters. Um, actually, my preaching Bible does not, so that's probably why my wife got it for me. Okay, monarchianism. There's going to be a lot of M's that we're looking at today. Monarchianism. So we talk about Martianism. What is monarchianism? Also shortened down to just monarchism. It teaches that God exists as a single ruler. So a monarch is a king, a ruler. And uh, this cult, this heresy taught that the, uh, the God that we worship is just, they said, a singular ruler. They denied the Trinity, in other words. They denied the Trinity and they were rejected. All of these groups are rejected by the early church. That's why uh, a lot of them sort of disappeared for a while, and then they keep coming back every few hundred years. But this was rejected pretty quickly because they denied the Trinity. And uh, they had two versions. We're going to look at each one of these because these two versions are still around today. Modalism and adoptionism. Both of these deny the Trinity. They're both types of monarchism. Monarch, there's only one God, they said, so there can't be three persons, one God. They denied the Trinity. Two forms, modalism and adoptionism. They're trying to deal and struggle and heretically teach uh, about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mentioned in the Bible. So number one, adoptionism. They taught that Jesus is not co-eternal with the Father. 
but he's adopted by God. That's why it's called adoptionism. So they believe Jesus became the Son of God on account of his perfect life and works. He lived a perfect life, and then he gets to be Son of God, they said. He gets adopted. Just like today, adoption in the ancient world was uh, often done by families, and then especially it was done for inheritance reasons. And so this made sense to some people who were confused, unbelievers who wanted to be Christians, who who liked this teaching. And the father adopted, because if he can live a perfect life and be adopted, then that gives people the encouragement to be able to do that themselves. Right? It's a works-based righteousness. So they say he was adopted either at his baptism or at his ascension. History of heresy. So, are there any adoptionists today? Well, typically they're in more academic circles today. This, isn't, this doesn't benefit the worldly person who wants to, to come into a, this kind of thinking. But academics love this. They love to write books on how Jesus is not God. And so here's a very popular guy, Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman studied under a conservative scholar at Princeton. And then he went liberal, denied the faith, and has spent his rest of his life writing books against Christianity. So if you go to the bookstore, if you go to Barnes & Noble, to the Christian section, you'll see tons of different Bart Ehrman books. And one of his early ones was called Misquoting Jesus, and he just undermines the gospel. This one is more recent. You see how it's adoptionist? How Jesus became God. Jesus always was God. Not the human name Jesus, but the Son of God always was God, is God, always will be God. But he said, Jesus became God, the exaltation of a Jewish preacher from Galilee. Bart Ehrman, very popular in the scholarly world. If you go to a liberal Christian seminary, hopefully you never will, but if you research that, they study guys like Bart Ehrman. The guy teaches at a seminary still. He teaches Bible classes. And he clearly says he's no longer a Christian. Okay, a more popular one today. Modalism. Starts in the early church. And this heresy is also called Sabellianism. Which, by the way, all Catholics and Greek Orthodox agree on most of these heresies that we're going through, that they are heresies. Um, the heresies of those will come in uh, later that we'll look at in the Middle Ages. But these early ones, everybody pretty much agrees, except these cults today, that they're heretical. Modalism teaches that God is one person who appears in different modes at different times and for different purposes. This is very subtle language here. You've got to look at the verbs here. And you've got to look at the, the nouns used to describe God. He appears... And it's different modes in different times and different purposes. Here are the modes. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've appeared at various times throughout history. So one God appearing differently throughout history. Also called patriopassionism. It just means that God the Father suffered and died on the cross. That's what they believe. Because if there's only one God, then he's appearing in the Son who died on the cross. It's actually the Father on the cross. 
Now, a great verse to prove this is wrong is just to say, what happens when Jesus is talking to his father on the cross? It can't be the father dying on the cross because he's talking to the father. He's praying to the father on the cross. So you can quickly discuss this with a modalist today and other passages, of course. So here's the language they use. This is pulled from a doctrinal statement of a modalist church. There is one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect, externally existing in three manifestations, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's the problem? Is there a problem there? What's the problem? No unity, right? And, and so that doesn't explain a Trinitarian biblical Christianity. Is there a word there that has a problem? I heard someone over here say it. Manifestations. Manifestations. That's the key word right here. They speak of modes or manifestations. And so you visit a church somewhere and you think, I'm going to take a quick look at their doctrinal statement, and you just read the first couple of lines and think, that sounds good. God, creator of all things, perfect, eternally existing. And then you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Heretical church, because three manifestations is key language for a modalist. And we often don't realize it, but we use bad analogies. So don't use this analogy to describe the Trinity. They say the Trinity, people sometimes say it, it's like uh, H2O. You've got Jesus as ice, God as uh, water, and the Holy Spirit as a vapor. Three manifestations of the same thing, right? It's all H2O. And so this is a modalist view of the Trinity. They wouldn't use the word Trinity, but it's a modalist view. So it's best if we just use a description in the Bible for the Trinity. One God, three persons. But how does that work? Study the Bible with me and I'll show you as much as I know. But you can't try to describe it with a picture. You can't try to describe it with an analogy. There's actually a funny video on YouTube about that. We won't watch it in class because it's kind of vulgar at the end. But uh, it's by the Lutheran satire guys. And it's... Uh, they go through, they're talking with St. Patrick, they call him. And they're going through all of these. Um, he's trying to describe it, Patrick is. And these pagans keep saying, that's modalism. Uh, that's docetism. They go through all these isms. Uh, it's kind of a humorous satire thing. Are there any modalists today? Any modalists? Can you name, name some modalists? T.D. Jakes who's part of the United Pentecostal Church. Not all Pentecostals. Specifically, this denomination is modalist. And you will see that name on the side of their building. This is the name. It's like you have Baptists and then you have Southern Baptists, right? Well, this is Pentecostals and United Pentecostals. The United Ones, that denomination, is modalist. They believe in the heretical teaching that denies the Trinity. So their most famous United Pentecostal is T.D. Jakes, written many books. He's the uh, pastor at the Potter's House in Dallas. Um, we actually went there one time, but not for church, because it was a Dave Ramsey thing. And unfortunately, Dave Ramsey has a lot of events at some of these prosperity guys. He's prosperity teacher also, by the way. Uh, so we didn't know anything about theology. We went to a Dave Ramsey event at the Potter's House. 
And I just remember, wow, there's a lot of seats in here. And now I think back and I'm thinking all of those thousands of people in there are going to listen to T.D. Jakes. Uh, he is a modalist. He is originally part of the United Pentecostal Church. He broke away from that as more knowledge came out about what he believed. He's even modified his doctrinal statement a bit on his website to try not to show as much of this modalism. Also, a, an old Christian band, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Do they still play in music? Anybody follow? They're still singing music? These are three pastors from the United Pentecostal denomination. Uh, I do think T.D. Jake still has modalism, if you look for it closely, I think on his website in the theology. These guys, uh, about 10 years ago, I believe, revamped their whole website. One of them is a pastor in Austin. I can't remember which one. And they dropped the United Pentecostal and they changed up what they say on their website. Not saying that their songs had it in there, but they are clearly uh, modalists in their belief, or at least, unless there's evidence otherwise, uh, still are today. So stay away. Now let's, let's get into how easy this is to be deceived. Uh, we may have to go into uh, more heresy in the next class. Um, there was a meeting a few years ago called the Elephant Room. And it was so popular, they did a second one. And in the second one, they invited T.D. Jakes. So the original Elephant Room, uh, guys like Mark Driscoll, and um, who's the guy in Dallas-Fort Worth? Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler. Those were the two big guys. They invited T.D. Jakes. James McDonald was another one. They invited T.D. Jakes to the second one. The problem is they said, look, T.D. Jakes, people were saying T.D. Jakes is a heretic. And they defended it, and they said, look, we're going to ask him about that when he comes. So I don't think this was a live event. I think it was all pre-recorded and put out. Uh, maybe there were people there in the room. I, I don't recall. This was about 10 or so years ago. And so here's what uh, Mark Driscoll says. We would all agree that in the nature of God, there is mystery. But within that, for you, Bishop Jakes, is the issue one God manifesting himself successively in three ways. So that's modalism. Or one God existing eternally in three persons. That's biblical Christianity. What is your understanding now? Which one? So they got so much heat. These guys did. Uh, James McDonald um, and Mark Driscoll. They're the, the main ones who put it on. They got so much heat from their viewers and listeners and followers. By the way, neither one of these guys are really in ministry today. Um, James McDonald got fired by his church a couple years ago. And uh, Mark Driscoll essentially got fired, kicked out. His whole organization fell. And now he's in the uh, New Apostolic Reformation, which is prosperity gospel. So they ask him, make a choice. Make a choice, T.D. Jakes. Everybody says that you're a modalist. Here, I'm giving you the language. Make a choice. He says, now listen closely. This is how, how close it is, how nuanced it is. He says, I believe the latter one is where I stand today. The, the last one that Mark Driscoll mentioned was biblical Trinitarian theology. He says, one God, three persons. Now, if he stopped there, we could say amen. And a lot of people, even though he said all this other stuff, said he's converted, he's changed his views. Listen to how he, how he clarifies. I'm not crazy about the word persons, though. Immediately, he's moved now away from biblical theology, true theology. He doesn't like the word persons, in other words. You describe manifestations as modalist, but I describe it as Pauline. 
And then he goes to 1 Timothy 3.16, for God was manifest in the flesh. And he goes, Paul's not a modalist, but he doesn't think it's robbery to say manifest in the flesh. Maybe it's semantics, but Paul says this. Well, Paul doesn't mean it that way. Paul means that the Son of God came in the flesh. But T.D. Jakes is saying, look, I can find the word manifest in my Bible. And he says, now when we start to think about that sort of thing, I think it's important to realize there are distinctives between the work of the Father and the work of the Son. I'm with you. I've been with you. So this is often the way that bad theology comes to you. I agree with what you're saying, but here's all this other stuff I believe, which is heresy, but I'm with you. This is not biblical Trinitarianism. So don't buy his books. Don't listen to him. We were in a very large, seeker-friendly church when I was saved. And they invited him to speak. It was an evangelical Protestant church. They invited him to speak. We knew nothing. We were never taught anything about heresy in this church. And they invited him to speak. And I thought, man, this guy's a passionate preacher. I mean, he works up a sweat. He is passionate. And didn't hear much about him through the years and then realized, oh, he teaches heresy. So passionate doesn't always mean biblical. Okay, Montanism. Montanism, mid-2nd century movement. So now we're, we're going into the 2nd century. And these are the uh, early prophets. They are called the New Prophecy. It was named after its founder, Montanus. So this guy comes along. His name is Montanus. And its most famous proponent was the church father, Tertullian. So this guy, Tertullian, we'll talk about him later. He ends up joining Montanism toward the end of his life. We'll talk about why, and we'll try to evaluate that. But here's what Montanists believe. They had a new revelation. So they, they knew the prophets, uh, the apostles had ended, but they said, we have a new revelation that fulfills everything the apostles said. And so they encouraged people to ecstatically prophesy and teach strange doctrines through prophecy. So they taught people how to just start saying crazy stuff and saying that that was prophecy. Now, we'll look later at charismatic theology and the history of that. But there weren't a lot of people prophesying in the second century. There weren't a lot of people saying, I speak for God. So these guys are very unique in that. Anywhere throughout church history until modern times. The Montanists taught that Christians who fall away from grace could not be redeemed and restored to the church. So if you stumble, if you backslide, then they say, you're, you're done. You can't be restored. You can't even be redeemed. You can't even be saved if you're an unbeliever uh, pretending to be a Christian. Here's the problem. Montanism spoke in the first person on God's behalf. Does that sound like a book that I just mentioned? Jesus Calling? where she speaks in the first person on Jesus' behalf. Montanism spoke in the first person on God's behalf rather than in the third person. He said, I am the Father, the Word, and the Paraclete. Now, there's a lot of people around the world that have started cults where they claim to be God or they claim to be Christ today. The Montanists emphasize a strict version of holiness, church discipline, apocalyptic living. They said, look, the end times are near. We're prophesying this new prophecy You must live very strictly. They were legalists, in other words. They emphasized chastity. They forbid marriage. And they said their emphasis is on holiness. 
And that's kind of why Tertullian will eventually go, because he gets sick of the church at that time, the, the larger church. And he says, I'm going to join the Montanists because they care about holiness. Some early church leaders claim that the Montanists were modalists. Later, Tertullian will deny that charge. By the way, Tertullian came up with the Latin word trinity and applied it to Christianity, which is why we use it today. It's taught in the Bible, but the actual Latin to English uh, comes later in church history for the word. Are there any Montanists today? I'll just leave that one open for you. Are there anybody, is there anybody out there claiming new revelations for God? Is there anyone out there saying they are God, that you should follow them? There used to be a guy in the Philippines that had this huge mansion. It was like millions of dollars, a compound, and he claimed he was God. And he had a huge following. People sent him money all over the world. Um, I can't remember what his name was, but I wonder if he's still around doing that today. Montanism, it's not exactly in this form. None of these heresies are, but it, it's still around today in many forms. All right, we're getting more specific as we go. We have novationism. And this one, just all you would have to write down if you're taking notes, is they deny the faith during persecution. If somebody denied the faith during persecution, they taught. That person could not be forgiven. So if you're like Peter, and in the quick moment where you're scared for your life, and you deny Christ, and then later it turns out you just did that because you were scared, they said you're out. You cannot come back into the church. They could not be forgiven. They said the novation has started their own church, the true church that will not let these people come in. And you can't, certainly can't be a pastor if you gave up the Bible when the Romans came through to burn the Bibles. So they started their own line of uh, church that will eventually get crushed by the government when it becomes Christian. Um, they said these Christians who denied the faith were lapsed. So they call them lapsi in Latin. And uh, the mainstream church let people come back in if they repented. But Novation said, no way. I'm the bishop of a new church in Rome. And his followers followed him and were excommunicated from the true church. And Roman Catholics call him an anti-pope. Because he set himself up against the, what they call the early pope. Alright, that's all you need to know about Novationists. Uh, Manichaeism. Manichaeism. There was a guy named Manny from the Middle East, from Persia. And he does what many heretics do. He mixes things into Christianity. In fact, there's very little Christianity at all in his belief. Uh, in the third century, he founded his own religion. Supposedly, he was from Babylon, which was right on the edge of the Roman Empire. Sometimes it was included in the Roman Empire. And again, he said, there's dualism. You have matter, which is evil, and spiritual, which is good. That's called dualism. It's from the, the Greek philosophers. And he said, there's two realms, light and darkness. The realm of light is good and peaceful, while the realm of darkness was evil and chaos. You got to follow the light. You got to go towards the light and get away from the darkness, the chaos. He said the state of the universe right now uh, was explained as an attack by the realm of darkness on the creation of an emanation from the realm of light. So there's this realm out there called the realm of light and something came from it called an emanation and the darkness attacked it. 
Manichaeism was very ecumenical, seeking to include all faiths under one umbrella. That's what ecumenical is. So what Manny did was he didn't try to get his own little group. He just said, all religions can join my group. Because it's very vague, light versus darkness. Most religions teach that there's good and evil. So anybody could come in and join Manichaeism. He said, though, there's no omnipotent good power, but rather a dualistic struggle between good and evil. It's good versus evil, and they're fighting it out back and forth throughout history. And each person has a good part, the soul of light, warring against the evil part, the body of darkness. So you can see how this might appeal to some Christians because they say, well, I've got indwelling sin. I still struggle with sin. I know I need to move closer to God. Maybe this guy Manny can help me. Maybe he's got the newest book on sanctification. I need to read that. He said that salvation comes from identifying oneself with one's soul. Listen to your soul. Listen to your heart. Right, that's Disney's theology, right? Listen to your heart. Just listen to your heart. It's like in every Disney movie. Are there any uh, Manichees today? By the way, Augustine, which will, who, he's one of the most famous guys in early church history, Augustine. He starts out as uh, a Manichee before he gets converted. Light and darkness, yin and yang. Most Eastern religions are a dualistic fight between light and darkness, the yin and yang. This is becoming very popular in America today as well. How about that? What's that? Star Wars. Of course, what did George Lucas do? He just stole from Eastern religions. The yin and the yang, the light and the dark. You got the, the light and the dark. What I always debate with my kids and have fun with is like, they're, they're always talking about this balance in Star Wars. But there's never a balance. It's always the, the light has to win against the dark, right? You always want the good guys to win. But the idea of there must be balance in the universe. Uh, that is Manichaeism and Eastern religion today. All right, we'll pick up next week with Arianism. Arianism is one of the biggest heresies in the early church. A lot of people go over to Arianism. The Roman emperor supports Arianism in the 4th century. He starts exiling anybody who believes in what we would call biblical Trinitarianism, the Trinity. Arianism is huge, and Arianism is still around today and a major cult that's out there. So we'll do Arianism in two weeks. Next week we have a guest speaker again, and we'll come back to Arianism in two weeks, and then it'll be every week after that that we do church history. Lord, we do pray this morning that you would help us to remember these heretical uh, teachings, not so that we would believe them. Lord, let us, let us know the Bible well enough to deny them, but help us to speak with others who are lost, who are adopting some of these teachings, we probably know people who have some of these books in their homes. Help us to speak with them about what the Bible says. Help us to be good evangelists for the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.